Amen. It is so good to be here. We had such a, a great time in the first service today, and I know that my wife enjoyed meeting all the ladies and just had a great time this weekend. Brother Downs and I, Bishop Downs and I snuck in for the dinner with the ladies, you know, so uh, we, we kind of got out quick. We did not get trapped. Uh, in a ladies' meeting, but we enjoyed the food, and and then we uh, we left. But it's it's been so good to be here, and just such great hospitality. Uh, your leaders, your your bishop. Uh, I know your pastor is out of town today. I, I told Pastor uh, Jonathan, I said, you you must either really trust us or don't want to hear us. I, I'm not sure. He told me it was trust, but we'll we'll find out. We'll see if he's here next week. But uh, amen. So we're, we're just so glad to be here. Before uh, we begin our, uh, my message today, I'm going to have my wife come and she's going to sing for you and then we will go to the word of the Lord. Awkward silence. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you can be seated. Um. There we go. Let me get the mic all settled. Sister Downs and I were talking, and she randomly asked me a question um, yesterday, and I was uh, interested in her question. She asked me the question. She said, do you ever listen to, or do you know, or something like that, Andre Crouch? And I was like, oh my goodness. Yes, of course I know Andre Crouch. I love his music. Um, he was a gospel, American gospel artist, and... Um, I love his material, and every now and then I'll pull out an Andre Crouch song because there's just something so life-giving and cheerful and optimistic and, you know, all the things that make us feel the joy of the Lord when we come into his presence. So I love, I love old Andre Crouch songs, and I was thinking about one of them, um, and I thought, well, they, they want me to sing before my husband preaches, and I thought, well, we've, we've done a lot of other kinds of songs, but let's just do something that lifts our spirits and bring a little Andre Crouch into the room. I was telling Sister Downs that a random fact about me, which is super, super interesting, or at least it's interesting to me. Uh, when I was just two years old, my parents were on a missions year in the country of Germany. It was their first introduction to missions as a married couple, and I was just a little, you know, little girl. I have no memories of this, but apparently when I was just two years old, they did an evangelism trip over to London. The entire team went over to London and they ministered and passed out tracts and did evangelism in the city of London. And then on Sunday night, they were meant to take the ferry back across to the mainland of Europe. And my parents snuck off from the group. I mean, I'm sure the group knew where they were going, but they separated from the group and they went went and heard Andre Crouch in London, England, and I was with them. So maybe that's why I love Andre so much. I have no memory, but apparently when I was two years old, I got to hear him in concert. So we're just going to assume that that's why he has impacted me. But I love this because I don't know if you feel this way, but I don't know why Jesus loves me. Mighty 
Hallelujah, we praise you today. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. And I'm just so glad to have such a wonderful, uplifting song uh, before I tell you some bad stories. Oh, I, I don't know if we planned it this way or, or if it just happened this way, but but I'm going to read you a bad story. A sad story. Well, a couple of sad stories. A man was working on his motorcycle on the patio. His wife nearby in the kitchen. While racing the engine, the motorcycle accidentally slipped into gear. The man, still holding the handlebars, was dragged along as it burst through the glass patio doors. His wife, hearing the crash, ran into the room to find her husband cut and bleeding the crashed motorcycle in the shadowed, shattered patio door. She called for an ambulance, and because the house sat on a fairly large hill, uh, they went down several flights of stairs to meet the paramedics and escort them to her husband. While the attendants were loading her husband, the wife managed to right the motorcycle and push it outside. She quickly blotted up the spilled gasoline with some paper towels and tossed them into the toilet. Yeah. After being treated and released, the man returned home. He looked at the shattered patio door and damage done to his motorcycle and he went into the bathroom and consoled him with something we shouldn't do, a cigarette. He should have done it for a couple of reasons. While using the facilities, so about to stand, he flipped the remainder of the cigarette into the toilet. The wife, who was in the kitchen, heard a loud explosion and her husband screaming, finding him lying on the floor, disheveled and, and smarting from a few burns, and once again phoned for an ambulance. As the paramedics carried the man down the stair, well, actually, uh, they came and the same paramedic crew was dispatched. And as the paramedics carried him down the stairs to the ambulance, they asked the wife how he had come to burn himself. And so she told them 
they started laughing so hard that one of them slipped, tipping the stretcher and dumped the husband out and he fell down the remaining stairs, breaking his arm. And that was a bad day. That was a bad day. Has anyone ever read the book, Alexander, and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? Do you have that story here? You've never heard that. It's a, it's a popular children's story. In fact, what's interesting is, is Alexander had such a terrible day that, that his mom would tell him that, you know, he would think he needed to go to Australia to find happiness. And, and, and sometimes even in Australia, maybe things don't happen. So you may have to think of it in terms of like maybe Sri Lanka or the Canada or something like that. But, but Alexander had a very bad day and, and he could tell that it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He went to sleep with gum in his mouth and he woke up with gum in his hair. When he got out of bed, he tipped over his skateboard and by mistake dropped his sweater in the sink while the water was running. He could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And nothing at all was right. Everything went wrong, right down to lima beans for supper and kissing on TV. Shouldn't have been watching it. Well, what do you do on a day like that? Well, you may think about going to Australia or you may be glad to find out that some days are like that, even in Australia, even in Canada, even in America, we may have those kind of days. One last, bad, are you ready? One last short bad story. There was a man who was getting into his car and he saw a note under the windshield wiper. And so he read the note. The note said this, I hit your car but I am pretending to write my insurance information because people are watching me. Hope you can fix it. Good luck. Wouldn't that be a great note to find on your brand new RAV4 bishop? Someone smacks into it and, and they put that note on there. People are watching me, so I need to pretend like I'm doing the right thing and giving you my information when actually I'm just saying, welcome to your bad day. So, anyone ever have one of those kind of days? Maybe not quite as bad, but a bad day, right? Just life just doesn't seem to be going the way that you would like it to go. A while back in, in my Bible reading, I was reading a story in the Bible about such a man. And, and this, this book, sometimes we get depressed in reading it, but, but there were some interesting things that I began to unpackage from the life of a man named you probably have guessed it, Job, right? Oh, he's gonna preach about Job. That's why it's depressing. There's these bad stories. So there was an account of this man. Here's why I said there was only gonna be three bad stories. Well, here's the fourth. Uh, in chapter one of, verse, uh, of Job, verse one, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Okay, this is the good part of the story. We're getting, it starts out okay. Um, he owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 teams of oxen and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So here was a man that loved God, that served God. And he had been in, in our vernacular, we sometimes uh, refer to some of these, uh, these temporal items as being blessed. I kind of have a different idea, but, but we could just, for the for, you know, sake of conversation, Job was blessed. He had, he had all that you would think that you would need living in this temporal world. But Satan came along and he was talking with God. I'm not sure why they were having a conversation, but I guess back then they had conversations. Maybe they do now as well. I don't know. But this lets us know they had a conversation, and, and Satan was asking God, well, you know what? You're just protecting Job. Like, if I took this protection down, if, I, if, you, if you would take it down and let me touch Job, let me let him be tested, and, and, and for some reason, God allowed it. He said, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to let this down, and, and you can touch him. And, and, and I believe it's going to be fine. Job is going to be okay. So one by one, here they came. Messengers 
began to appear with morbid news for Job. First, they came and let him know that the, uh, the sheep were uh, in, in this accident, and, and I'm the sheep herder. I'm the only one left. All the sheep are gone. Next came the, the camel herder. All your camels are gone. I am the only one left. I'm here to give you the Alexander very horrible, no good, bad day story. Here you go. By the way, your motorcycle is ruined. That's in the message translation. It happens later, right? The oxen, the donkeys, everything was gone. And the one that I have a hard time with because uh, it, it just seems like how do you replace, you can replace donkeys and camels and oxen, but the children were all, and some of them were adult children, were all in a, a home and lightning struck and killed your children. I can lose donkeys, I can, I can lose camels, but, but he lost his family. This was a bad day. This was a very difficult day. And he was wondering, does, does God know where I am? Does he, does he have me? Does he have this in the palm of his hands? And, and, and he cried out. He cried out in chapter 1 and verse 21. And he says, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Wow, he went through a, a great turmoil in his life. He went through, a, through, through all kinds of things, and then he went through affliction. Then the enemy touched his body, and he began to develop boils on his body that were very painful and hurt and, and probably left him with scars the rest of his life. Sometimes those things happen to us and they leave scars in our life when, when we get this bad news and we try to recover from it. But in all these situations, Job held fast. But now, in chapter two, we learn of an interesting development. Friends came to comfort him, to give him comfort. And they told him, they said, when, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy that he had suffered, they got together and they traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe there's, there's people in your life that you might have called the advice givers, right? They're the ones who, they've got a word for you, and they're going to tell you this is how things are. This is what you should do, what you shouldn't have done, and next time you need wise, sage advice, call me. This is my number. That's probably what they would do with it, probably what Job felt like doing. These characters were those people. They were the advice givers. They came to tell Job. In fact, the rest of the 42 chapters of Job recount their advice giving and their accusations toward him. And, and then there was also the rebuttal of Job in there as well. So Job was lamenting his situation, and, and later he, he complains that the, the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer, and, and he uh, really begins to look around at him and begins to question his environment. He begins to question what is happening. Maybe you can relate to these sentiments of Job in chapter uh, 2, verse 21 through 23. One person dies in prosperity, completely comfortable and secure, the picture of good health, vigorous and fit. Another person dies in poverty, never having tasted the good life, but both are buried in the same dust, both eaten by the same maggots. Now, I've entitled this message today, God's got this, okay? That's, that's my title. I had another title, but my wife won't let me leave it as the title, okay? She won't let me. Now, you would not forget this other title. I promise you, you won't forget it, but it's not my title, okay? If you'll put up my not my title slide. Maggots eat everyone. 
It's scripture. It's in the Bible. It's probably, I like the New Living, but I probably, no, that was New Living. It's in the King James too. Maggots are just maggots. They eat everyone. When we die, our flesh all goes the same way. It doesn't matter your, your situation in life. It doesn't matter if you're a king. It doesn't matter if you're a pauper. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter your finances, your connections, your, your situation. It does not matter. In the end, we all go the way of death. And this body, this temporal body, is taken away. But this reminds me that the scripture also says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Now, we often look at that scripture and we think of difficulties. We think of that it's a, that calamity comes. But this actually means rain is in the scripture is actually life-giving. And so sometimes we get upset when we see life-giving or finances or what we might think is prosperity or, or success given it falls on someone who is unjust. They don't deserve that. Why are they getting what we consider blessings and goodness and, and we are suffering? But sometimes that just happens. We could probably look around in our life and see situations that they just don't seem fair. And we question, we, we, we watch the news and we can see right now, there are some things happening in our world and I'm not gonna get political. There are some things happening in our world that they just don't seem fair. And in Job's situation, he could have complained and, 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 but you know what? He himself said that he's not going to rejoice in the calamity of others. And we should take that sentiment. This is something we can learn from Job that even though we might be going through difficulties, do not rejoice in someone else's calamity. Job 31, 29 says, have I ever rejoiced when disaster struck my enemies or become excited when harm came their way. We might be feeling that someone else deserves this and, and we, we can remember the story of, of, of um, Jonah and Nineveh and he came and brought the word of the Lord to them and they changed their ways and, but he still wanted them to be destroyed because they were awful people and he couldn't believe that God had mercy and God had grace and he had, he had brought that to them and, and he was not only rejoicing in calamity, he was hoping for calamity, desiring that, just zap them, God, get them. But he did not do that. There's actually a really good German word that, that uh, describes this idea of rejoicing when disaster strikes someone else. And this word is one of my favorite German words. I don't know a lot of them. I, I was there for a little while and I could order my breakfast. So that was important. I could, I could do that. But this word is called schadenfreude. And schadenfreude means pleasure derived by someone or by, by, from another person's misfortune. So it's derived by someone from another person's misfortune. So having pleasure when we see that someone else is having a bad day. Maybe you have, uh, you, you've been on the internet and you've watched some of these, uh, you know, people on a bicycle and they have a really bad accident and, you know, we're laughing at it or they're, they're skateboarding and they, they flip upside down and they hit their head. And even though there's part of us that might be cringing, maybe there's another part that's like, yeah, that's why we watch this show, right? Because we want to see the disaster. We want to see, you know, what becomes of, uh, of this person or maybe that boss, that you just don't like. Walks in the office, he trips and he spills his coffee on his white shirt, and we're just like, yeah, come on, God. You did it again, <laughs> hallelujah. We rejoice when we see others get what we think they deserve. But even on his darkest, day, darkest days, Job did not allow his own troubles to cause him to rejoice in others' troubles. When we're facing difficulties, it's easy for us to become hardened. It's easy for us to become, uh, become uh, bitter with other people. 
And, and we become hardened to maybe even our own pain and our own bitterness. And that's why we're lashing out towards others. Because maybe there's some things in us that we need to take a look at. But even though he tried to keep his compassion alive, Job himself declared that he was in fact depressed. He felt a spirit of depression in his life. Job 30 and 16 says, And now my life seeps away. Depression haunts my days. Now this is the New Living Translation. You'll find in some of the translations of Scripture, the word depression will not be used. Um, in fact, a, a, a theologian, uh, Dr. Uh, Moline, Dick Moline, several years ago, um, he's a, a scholar himself in language, Greek and Hebrew languages, and he talked to some of the modern translators. And in scriptures where they felt it should have been the word depression, um, they used other words like uh, anguish or distress, um, and they won't use the word depression. He asked them, why they wouldn't do that. In fact, one of the, the, the uh, most prominent places in Scripture is when Jesus went to Gethsemane and he sweat great drops of blood. I, I don't know about any of you. I've been stressed in life and I've been worried about some things. I've had some difficulties. I have never in my life sweat drops of blood. There was great anguish going on. Think about if you were the God of heaven and you're fully man and fully God and you had a, a, a mind that could think ahead and you knew what was coming. You knew what was going to happen to your body, that it was going to be broken and beaten and that you were going to suffer great physical pain in that body, not to mention the emotional distress of the rejection of the entire world. You talk about the potential, potential for an attachment disorder that he had. The entire world rejected him. So he asked these scholars, uh, Dr. Moline did, why they didn't uh, put the word depression in there. And they said because in the Christian world they might not accept that. Because we, we sometimes think that depression is only a spirit. And there is a spirit of depression. But sometimes it is just that we have gone through some very difficult situations. And we've gone through some valleys that we need the Lord to step in and walk with us through those valleys. And this is what Job was, was walking through. He was walking through this valley. And we, uh, we honor the legacy of Job by saying that he, what a godly and righteous man that he was. But he was depressed, and he might have been the first human to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, he was a biblical hero. And yet he went through emotional and mental health. We know that Elijah certainly went through a season of depression when he stopped uh, eating and he hid in the woods from a woman. He had a great victory, great battle. And then he goes out and he hides because he's afraid of Jezebel. He's just defeated hundreds and, and maybe thousands of prophets of Baal. He called down fire from heaven that burnt up the, the bullocks and the wood and the, and, and the 12 gallons, buckets or buckets, whatever, of water that was poured on the fire, consumed. And then, woe is me. Jezebel is after me. I'm in trouble. It's interesting to note what God did for him. He was by a brook, so he had water. He got rest. And he brought ravens to bring food. I wonder if it was magpies. Magpies, I've been feeding those birds in the back of the Downs house. And maybe it was a magpie. We maybe translated it wrong. The magpies brought food to Elijah and fed him and took care of him. So sometimes we just need to pause and we need to take care of the physical needs of our body as well. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and Moses certainly dealt with anxiety, insecurity, and fear. So anytime we go through something in life, we can remember that there were some great men and women of God in Scripture that have gone through some things like you have, that have dealt with difficulties and situations. But sometimes we, we may judge ourselves as being less spiritual during these difficult seasons. And we may feel that we're struggling with our emotions because some of these circumstances have been traumatizing. And we begin to question our own journey of faith. Our trauma begins to be out of control. But trauma does not constitute sin on our part. And Job, in this, in this scenario, he didn't sin. 
God pulled down this hedge of protection and the enemy came in. Circumstances began to happen around him that were out of Job's control. There are circumstances in your life that may be out of your control. You didn't do anything wrong. Now, if you did, confess it to the Lord to make it right, have forgiveness, and do all of that. We know that, but sometimes it is of no wrongdoing of our own that we find ourselves in a situation where we need to trust that God's got this. God has this. He, he's, I, I, I don't understand why I'm walking through this, but he hopefully knows what I am going through and what I am dealing with. Sometimes we, when in times of these troubles, we look for help, and we may look for help from our friends. Hopefully we have friends in life that we can go and we can talk to. Job had friends, but these friends turned out to be pretty unique friends. They turned out to be advice givers. So what kind of a role do friendships play during a crisis? It's kind of, it's kind of human nature for us to reach out to others when we're in a difficult circumstance. And we want them to, to be able to hear us and listen to our story. Can we, can we share our story with someone and find out what their perspective is? But here's the point. Not everyone that we talk to is looking through a godly filter. They're not always looking from a perspective that could be uh, led by the Spirit and thus helpful. So we could be led astray by friends if we're not careful. In Joe's situation, his friends accused him of sinning. They accused him of being arrogant. They even accused him of being wicked. They didn't really know him. They were just looking at these circumstances and basically saying, you must have done something wrong for life to be so bad. Why are these things happening to you? In fact, one of them said, there is no limit to your sins. Wow, what big words. What a friend. He also called him in the New Living Translation, a windbag. Uh, the King James says, fill his belly with the east wind. The, and the NIV says, hot east wind. Don't you know that some people are just full of hot air? Right? Sometimes those, those quote-unquote friends, those people that are, are coming to us to lift us up and help us, maybe they're just full of hot air. Now, it wasn't that there were just three friends. Later in the book... There was a fourth person that decided that he would come in and, and give his critique as well. Elihu, uh, he came in to, to share. And, and the scriptures let us know that Elihu was young and he was brash, probably a know-it-all, thought that he had everything. Uh, it, you know, he, had, he had been to Bible college. You know, he had, he had gone and he had he learned some things, right? And, and so now I'm going to tell you this is how things are. Sometimes there are people around us or everyone, it seems like, around us wants to speak into your crisis. They want to speak into you. But, but ultimately, I'm here to tell you today that we need the voice of the Lord more than we need the perspective of friends. In a crisis, we need to cut through the noise and we need to hear what thus saith the Lord. What is he saying in our life? Because we can be led astray. Now, if we have friends that are not like Job's friends and they're speaking the words of the Lord and they're not contradicting scripture, that's a blessing. That's wonderful. But we have to have that discernment to know is this really of the Lord, or is this the enemy trying to not only destroy me, but destroy others and destroy relationships that could be godly and could be beneficial? Another lesson that we can learn from the book of Job, in the midst of a trial, don't give way to self-soothing. Soothing. Avoid temporal fixes that lead to disaster. Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Now, when I was going through my, my Bible reading and, and I, I came upon this scripture and, uh, you know, 31, it's, it's a ways into the complaints, right? We're, we still got a few more chapters of complaints to come. But 
I, I paused for a moment and I thought, how is this helpful? What, 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 is, what is being spoken here? Why, why in the midst of you've sinned and, and that's why these things have happened, why this scripture that he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. And I think that the Lord gave this to me, that, that really what was important here in this part is that Job was holding to his moral convictions. It could have been easy for him to look for something that was soothing. Sometimes in the midst of crisis, we look for things to self-medicate. We look for perhaps alcohol. We look for substances, drugs, something that's going to change the chemical makeup. Depression changes the chemicals in our brain. Anxiety takes away certain chemicals in our brain and causes us not to function very well. And so um, he, he wasn't maybe tempted by, by strong drink or, or you know, maybe didn't have some of the types of drugs that we have today. But he knew enough to say, I need to be careful to not let moral lust, we would today say something uh, such as pornography or, or having, uh, being drawn to someone else who's not our spouse. And he recognized, I've got to be careful not to seek something that would give me temporal pleasure. I mean, God has already forsaken me. Why can't I just go and have a little pleasure? Why can't I just go just in, in fact, maybe, you know, I, I'm not going to do anything about it, but can I just let my eyes and my thoughts and my fantasies wander? Let me have a Snickers bar, right, and a Kit Kat, something to give me a, a lift, a, a give me a quick high, but it's not going to last. It's not going to be eternal. It's a very temporal situation that can happen. Sometimes we go through difficult times in life, and there's a, uh, a quote, the author is unknown. It says, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. The missing quotient, I think, in this, uh, this quote is a relationship with Jesus. So I've rewritten the quote. The author is known. It's me. Hard, I'm, I'm borrowing from his, but changing. Hard times unearth man's need for Jesus. Jesus creates humble men. Humble men seek Jesus. Humble Christ followers lead the way for others suffering hard times to follow Jesus. I'm going to read it one more time. Hard times on earth men's need for Jesus. Jesus then creates humble men, and humble men seek Jesus. And humble Christ followers lead the way for others suffering hard times to follow Jesus. Nancy Wolgamuth says this. She says, our generations have been programmed to pursue happiness wholeness, affirmation, and cures for our hurt feelings and damaged psyches. But God is not as interested in these ends as we are. He is more committed to making us holy than making us happy. And there is only one pathway to holiness, one road to genuine revival, and that is the pathway of humility or brokenness. Ultimately, brokenness is a matter of surrendering control of our life to God. The heart that has been emptied of itself and broken of its willfulness is the heart that will experience the filling and the reviving of our glorious holy God who humbled himself that he might lift us up. You see, humility is not self-soothing. That's the self-soothing is, is really about pride. It's about how do I make myself feel good. Humility doesn't do that. Humility recognizes our human deficiencies. It recognizes the, the failures and, and the inabilities that we have as humans to actually make all these good decisions without the help and the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. It acknowledges our need for a savior. It acknowledges our need for our creator. Brokenness brings revival. It's, it's, not the, uh, it's not the success. It's not the finances. It's not when everything is well, but it's brokenness that brings revival. When we are weak, the Bible says, then we are strong. You see, God's economy always seems to be upside down. It doesn't seem to be the way that, that we think it should be from uh, our human perspective. But when we are weak... 
we are positioned for God's glory. We're in a position where now he can use you, now he can speak through you, and he can help you. Another lesson that we learn from the book of Job is that when trials come, we should remember the goodness of God. Now this is kind of a, an interesting scripture and it, it makes sense probably in the context of their day. We could probably put different words in it today, but Job 29 and five says, my steps were awash in cream and the rocks gushed olive oil for me. Now this is, this is chapter 29, so again, we're way into some of the complaints, but, but here is Job in the midst of all of this, remembering the goodness of God. He's remembering those days when, when he was, his steps were awash with cream. I guess, you know, cream was a good thing. We, we put it in cereal, I think, the other day, and you put it in coffee. I mean, it's, it's some good, you know, it's wonderful. And olive oil, you know, it's a very good thing to cook with. And so he was reminiscing of these times of how life can be. How many parents do we have in the room today? How many are empty nesters? Your children are, are grown and they're gone. How many are, your children are older and they're, they're, they're gone, okay? So maybe we, as we look back, we can remember bad times, right? If you've been in a family, you've experienced those difficult times in family. And, but you can also remember the good times. And maybe the further you get, the, 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 the more that you kind of forget about the bad times. You only remember the good, and that's what you talk about. Um, I, I have often said that, that with uh, childbirth, when that first child comes, and it's a difficult process, and, and for the woman it can be very, very difficult. For the man too, but not as much. Um, and and, and I, I, I can't help but think that if women had that memory continue throughout their life, there would never be a second child. Right, if, if they could, if they, if they didn't have some distance there and they, now they remember the good times. Look, he's two, he's beautiful. But two years ago, I was not very happy with my husband. That memory, right? Remembering the good times. Because we can look back and see the bad times. But, but now we see the blessings of being a mom, the blessings of being a parent. Can we remember what God has done for us over our lifetime? Can we look back and see that we don't just see it from a temporal state, but, but God views us from the lens of eternity. He sees it through eternity and, and what a wonderful thing that we can look back and see where God has kept us and brought us through different places and different points in our lifetime. Two more lessons that we want to learn today from the book of Job. We are to be acquainted with the light. Job 24 and 13 says that wicked people rebel against the light. They are not acquainted with the light. You know, misery loves company. And it loves darkness. We have to be careful not to spend time with those who are living in darkness, for those who uh, do not want to follow the light. We may need to, to sit up, throw off the sackcloth and ashes, put on a new garment, put on the garment of praise for the spirit and the spirit of happiness. We might need to become acquainted with others who are also walking in the light. Remember, those friends that we're walking with are influencers. And are, are we, I often ask the question when you're uh, of young people and, and really all people that you are relating to, are you influencing or being influenced? Are, that really is the difference between witnessing and, and being with the world, being in the world but not of the world. Are you influencing someone or are they influencing you? Well, uh, you know, Bishop Downs, I just, I go down to the, to the bar here because I want to witness to people. Well, after five beers, are you witnessing I actually had this conversation with someone at one time. Are you witnessing or are you being influenced? Are you just, are you trying to find these scriptures where, where Jesus hung out with sinners and you're thinking, well, I can go boogie with the sinners. I can go hang out and, you know, be a part of them or, sorry, I probably shouldn't have used that word here. Uh, I can get down with, the, with them. But, but there's a difference between being like them and influencing. Who's influencing you and who are you influencing with? We want to be part of those who are in the light. 
Lastly today, I just wanna talk about how God is truly sovereign. The sovereignty of God can confound the wisest among us. Neither Job nor his comforters really had the answers for his situation. And they spent 42 or more chapters letting us know they had no answers. Windbag. They, they shared all of these things, but they did not have the answers. Job 23, 13 says this. But once he has made his decision, who can change his mind? Speaking about God. Whatever he wants to do, he does. Whatever God wants to do, this is what he is going to do. It's difficult when we're reading the book of Job to know which person has the correct perspective. At the end of the book, God speaks, and he essentially says that no one can really fully understand his ways. No one can understand why he always does the things that he does. And so this book of Job is a reminder to us that there are things that happen that we may never understand and we may never truly under, uh, comprehend the process. I, I walk with people on a daily and weekly basis and, and we talk about their journeys. I, I counsel people uh, in, in an office and also online, mainly uh, online, and, and we talk about things that are happening in their individual lives or we talk about things that are happening in their families. And, and I believe that God is a miracle worker. I truly do. I believe that he can, he can change things in a moment, but I also recognize that in life we walk through some valleys just like Job did. You and I can walk through some things. We can um, embark upon a journey that we thought was gonna head this direction and somehow the train goes off the tracks and we just don't understand. We've not skipped church. We're paying our tithes. We love the Lord. We don't talk bad about the pastor. We're living a life that was godly and we still met with disaster. And then the enemy wants to come in and he wants to, maybe with friends or with, maybe with the word of God. The enemy has twisted the word of God since the Garden of Eden. He has used scripture to come along and say, well, your Bible says if you ask, uh, you have not because you ask not. And, and if you ask this, he's gonna give it to you. And, 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 and we pull it all out and we think, man, according to all the things that he's talking about, Jesus is my genie in the bottle. If I just rub the bottle, the spirit will come out and, and, and the genie of the lamp will give me whatever I want. But I don't think that's the God that Job is talking about. God knows the beginning from the end. Sometimes we can't see what's around the corner. We don't understand what is coming. I heard a story once, a friend told me that he was, I believe it was him or someone else, was flying in a helicopter and they were flying over this uh, area where hunters were hunting for deer. And they, they could see this, this scenario below them. There were many hunters, it was early in the morning, and they were all out there. Many of them were in their tree stands and they were ready to get their deer. There was a hill and on the other side of the hill, there were literally 15 or 20 dancing deer in a meadow, just, just playing and having a great time while the hunters who were trying to kill them were over on this other side with this hill between them, cold, shivering, it was cold, it was you know, fall, it was, it, was, you know, the, it was morning time, so it was cooler, and they probably were not happy, but what they wanted was just over the hill. And they couldn't see it. We can't see it sometimes from our horizontal perspective. We can't see through the trial. We can't see around the trial. But the God of heaven is in a helicopter. <laughs> He's above and he can see down and he knows what's over here. He knows where your blessing is. He knows where the difficult spots are. And he is there to help us. He's got this. He's got this situation. If we could just stand today. He knows where you are today. He's up there and he is, he is navigating this for, he's sovereign. Sometimes things happen and we don't understand them. Sometimes he's behind the scenes in our life and he's doing things that, that we just, we, we didn't understand. But we've got to trust that he is in control. We have to trust that he knows 
our situation. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Job went through such excruciating difficulties. But he said this, the Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Lord, I will praise you at all times. I will sing of your goodness. I will, I will trust you because you have been faithful in my life. Then he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust you. Lord, it doesn't matter the temporal situations that I find myself in. It, it doesn't matter that, that others have broken relationships with me and have pulled away. God, I will trust you. I will sing of your greatness. I will testify of your goodness. You're a good God. You're a wonderful God. And you love me. Even though right now I don't understand all the things that I'm going through. Maybe you're here today. Maybe this is your story. Maybe there are situations that you've prayed about and the answer hasn't come in the way that you wanted it to. Maybe you're still waiting for an answer. Maybe you're in the middle of something that you can't see over that next hill. You can't see around that next curve. I know someone today who has you in the palm of his hands. And if you will allow him, he will walk with you through those journeys. He will guide you. He will, he will give you that spiritual vision to see beyond your temporal situation. He will lead you to a path, a path of, of promise. The children of Israel wandered for 40 years. God had a promise just like you could throw a stone and you could hit it. But they complained. They didn't see God's plan. They wanted it their way. But today, can we give it to God? These altars are open. If there's something that, that you want to come today and, and just talk to the Lord, and maybe there's something else you need to lay down, something you need to bring and, and say, Lord, I, I, I've carried this too long and I don't understand it, and I, I, just, I just wanna come and give it to you today. You're sovereign, God, I trust you. But you did say to ask, and so I'm going to ask. Lord, I need something today. I, I need a healing in my mind. I need, a, I, I need you, God, to, to help me understand how to deal with that broken relationship. I need you to help me, God, with the things that are going on in my life that I don't understand. Hallelujah. Can we just worship him right now? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we worship you, God. Through all things, Lord, we magnify you whatever trial may come, whatever situation may come, God, we know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything that we ask or even think. You will walk with us, Lord, through the trials, through the situations. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Could we just all come right now? Just Can we just come and just lift up our hands to him today? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus, we magnify you, Lord.